so happy to be able to teach this final message called Jaded. And uh, I was just talking to Cameron last night about how fast it goes. It's always so surprising how quick three weeks can go. You start this message series and you're like, just starts and all of a sudden, boom, it's over. So quickly. So I've been talking to you about these know-it-alls and the have-it-alls and the seen-it-alls and those people really who kind of like sometimes can kind of get under our skin a little bit maybe. And I've told you before that the word jade has changed. Obviously, it's one of those words that has changed. Like I said, the word gross has changed. Even the word sick has changed. When someone says, man, I'm sick, that's sick. You know, like, it used to mean that you're ill. And it's not now. Now it means somehow it's a good thing. It's sick. I don't get it. But words have changed over the years, and the word jade is no different. Jade started out as being a broken-down horse or disreputable woman. So kind of an interesting thing that's actually changed so much. And the word jade now has really become kind of a, a dull, weary, you know, overburdened kind of definition instead. Kind of a disillusionment that takes place. The Urban Dictionary's definition, like I said, is the end result of having a steady flow of negative experiences, disappointment, unfulfillment in life where a person gets to the point where their anger circuits burn out and they wearily do just accept this disillusionment. Isn't it funny? Isn't it funny how anger really is one of those emotions that we all kind of have? But if you look at anger, anger is really just the outward. Usually what it is is there's another emotion behind it. Usually there's fear or worry or hurt. Those things are a lot of times are what's really we're feeling. And I think times that's what happens when you talk about this disillusionment that takes place like in anger sometimes where your anger circuits burn out. I think that's part of it. You know, you kind of just like blow up, but really a lot of times in our anger, it's really because we're feeling a different emotion, more deep. But disillusionment is kind of one of those feelings where we kind of had this thought that something was going to be better than it turned out to be. And maybe that could be you today. Maybe you could be one of those people that could sit there and think, you know, I really thought my life would be different by this point. I never expected that I would get married and I'd be divorced. I never expected that when I had this little baby that I would have to share custody that this baby wouldn't just be mine all the time. I never expected that the love of my life would no longer be in my life. I never expected that maybe the job I had would completely just end unexpectedly, and I have nothing, now I have no security. Those things happen. And I think over time when those things happen, we can become so disillusioned, we can become so really angry, frustrated, and we can start to believe that really maybe my life's going to be no better. I'm just kind of disillusioned. I kind of just expect nothing anymore. And that happens. Well, I try to explain to you that these know-it-alls and these seen-it-alls and these have-it-alls, what these people are sometimes in our life as Christians is they're really kind of like landmines. They're those landmines that we have to kind of navigate through on this journey of following after Christ. Sometimes we think it's going to be the what's, but a lot of times it can be the who's that can really get to us. And I mentioned to you that Paul asked the question in Galatians 5, 7. It says, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? So we can say a lot of times that there's going to be people. They're going to be the ones who are actually going to cut in on us. They're actually going to make us falter in our steps. They're going to make us stumble and fall sometimes. And it's true because I can tell you after 22 years that this is what's happened to me. It's been a struggle sometimes. Sometimes you have those know-it-alls that love to tell you everything that you should do instead of what you're doing. And it makes you, after a while, not want to join in. Maybe they're part of a group, and you're like, man, I love that group. 
But there's always a know-it-all there telling you how to do stuff. And after a while, you're like, I really don't want to go no more because it's not fun. Because every time I go, there's a lecture and there's something in it that I need to know something different. Or you might even avoid church. Maybe think that the thing is that you see these people and they're like the seen it all. You know, they've, they've experienced everything. They're not even accepting and, and believing anymore that God can change their life. They're kind of just become jaded. They think that this is it. You know, just a mediocre faith is good enough. And when you start to get excited, they're like, ah, you'll figure it out. It's not that exciting as you go along. It's sad. But over time, people have that experience where they start to kind of pick up that attitude because you're around that attitude. They give unwanted advice. They tell you what you're doing wrong when you didn't even ask for that advice. You're like, what? I can't wear jeans to pray with somebody? I think I can. I think God would allow me to. But sometimes you get unwanted advice. And after a while, what's sad is because those people could have great nuggets of knowledge and truth. But what happens over time is you won't receive it from them because you've already put up a barrier and a wall. So when they do finally throw out a nugget, you've already eliminated them that you want nothing to hear from them at all. And then we have the have-it-alls. And those are where we have a lot of inner conflict. Because what happens is we start to look at those people and we start to see, wow, they have everything. They have everything. And what we do, no matter how much you are a believer, you start to compare your life to their life. We start to look at our life and we see what we have and we start to see what other people have and we compare and that's a really dangerous place to be. Everybody knows about the Joneses, right? We all know about those Joneses. I feel sorry for anybody named Jones. Don't you? The last name Jones, it's like you just know, it's like, oh, just keep it up with the Joneses. Like, seriously, I'm not even trying hard and you get blamed for it all the time. But your Joneses might not even be Joneses. Maybe yours is the Bradys or the Donahues or the Smiths or the Johnsons. Maybe it's those people. Your next-door neighbor that seems like they have it all together. They have their life just so put together perfectly. And they have it all. At least on the outside, that's what you think is they have it all. You start to notice their things. And you start to look at their things, and you think that they have a better life than maybe you do because their things are better. You might never even have spoken to them. But somehow you look at them and you think that their lives must be better. If you go to Baker's Lake and you look at some of those houses, you look at them and think, wow, I bet you their lives are so good. That's like, that's not necessarily so. But why is it that we do that? We look at material things and things that people have and think that's going to be happier or more contentedness. We start to look at in our life and we make a mental list of the things that they have compared to the things that we have. We look at their car and we think, wow, their car is really nice. It's brand new. Look at mine. It's kind of rusty. We look at their house and we think, wow, look at that brick, it's beautiful. Look at the landscaping, it's gorgeous. I love that. And then you walk in your house and you kind of see the peeling paint or maybe all the flaws or things that you're, you notice are not so good and you start to compare those things. Our clothes. You look at and you think, wow, I have to shop maybe at Target or Walmart. These people are going to, you know up to Marshall Fields and all the different places and they have everything fancy and look at them, they must be so much more happy than me because they carry a nice Louis Vuitton bag. Why is it we do that? I'm cheap. I don't even buy a $30 bag. I am so cheap like you wouldn't imagine. I don't shop and that's probably why you guys will notice over time I don't have really great clothes because I don't shop. I avoid shopping altogether if I can help it. Our bank accounts. 
We look at our bank accounts and we really judge our happiness on our bank accounts. How much money we have equals how much contentedness we have. We somehow look at money as security. That's not how God wants us to look at it and live. But we look at them and we think their bank accounts must be bigger, which must mean that they're happier. They're definitely more joyful than me. We definitely think that their lives are much better than our lives. We look at their nicer things and we think, wow, they must be much more content than I am. And that's dangerous, dangerous ground to be on. What that is is jaded territory. Because the more you look at somebody else and you think that they're content because of their things, you become more and more jaded thinking that your stuff is not good enough. Your things that God has given you are not to the level where they should be. It's sad. Our contentedness should not be based on the things we have. It should be on the joy we have, on living our lives. It should be what we do with our day that gives us joy, not things. Things are never going to do it. I'm going to read you a little story, because more, more things does not necessarily equal more happiness. There's a story about an American tourist who was at the pier of a small coastal Mexican village when a small boat with just one fisherman docked. Inside the small boat were several large yellowfin tuna. The tourist complimented the man on the quality of his fish and asked how long it took to catch them. The man replied, just a little while. And the tourist then asked him, well, why didn't you stay out longer and just catch more fish then? And the man said, well, with this, I have enough to support my family's needs. And the tourist asked, well, what do you do with the rest of your day then? What do you do then? The fisherman said, I sleep late, I fish a little, I play with my kids, I take a siesta with my wife, Maria, I stroll into the village each evening where I sip wine and I play guitar with my amigos. And the tourist scoffed. I can help you. What you should do is you should spend more time fishing. And with those proceeds, buy a bigger boat. And with the proceeds from the bigger boat, then you can buy several boats. And eventually what you'll do is you'll have a fleet of fishing boats. Instead of selling your catch to the middleman, then you would sell directly to the processor, to the distribution, to the product. You could leave this small coastal village and you could move to Mexico City, then on to Los Angeles, and eventually New York, where you could run your ever-expanding enterprise. The fisherman asked, but then how long is that going to take me? And the tourist replied, 15 to 20 years. Well, what then? asked the man. The tourist laughed and said, that's the best part. When the time's right, you're going to sell your company stock to the public, and then you'll become very, very rich, and then you would make millions. Millions? Well, then what? And the American said, then you'll retire. And then what you can do is you can move to a small coastal fishing village where you'll sleep late, <laughs> fish a little, play with your kids, take siesta with your wife, Maria, stroll into the village in the evenings where you can sip wine and play your guitar with your amigos. Why is it that we believe this idea that we have to always have more? More to make us happy. Contentedness can be in a very small amount of material things. Contentedness, just, be, just because you have more, a bigger house, a better car, does not make you more content. In fact, I would actually say it probably does the opposite to some degree. Paul says in Philippians 4.11, it says, Not that I was ever in need, for it, I have learned to be content in with whatever I have. Contentedness is a struggle for Christians. It's so hard because for some reason we love to compare ourselves with others. We compare ourselves to the world and then we also compare ourselves in here. We look at somebody how they're dressed and we make a judgment call. 
We look at how they praise God. We make a judgment call. It's sad that we look at each other so much and compare ourselves to each other. But we're so guilty of that. The problem with comparing our lives all the time to each other and when we feel like our lives aren't good enough is what we're doing is actually we're telling God that what he has gifted us with, the things that he's given us, that we're not content, that they're not good enough. These things that you've given me are not good enough. I want more. I want more. It's a sad state that we're like that. We think that more money, more things, and all those things are going to bring us more happiness and more contentedness. And it is so not true. It's not true. If I were to ask anybody who's been married any length of time, someone who's been a little older, someone who's had more experience, maybe not just starting out, I could ask you the question of when you probably felt the most content in your life or more just happy, a lot of times you'll go back to the time when you had less. When you had less money, less things, less in your life. And I can tell you that is so true for me. So true for me. When I look back at my life, I think at certain times, and I don't know if I ex- really appreciated them then, but boy, you do once you get past them. I appreciate so much the times when we were remodeling our bedrooms and it lasted for like 10 years. I'm not kidding. Upstairs, we had no bedrooms because we were remodeling. So what we did was we all stayed in one bedroom downstairs. And there was a time in my life where I had a crib, a twin-size bed, and our bed in one bedroom. And I remember, clear as a bell, patting Cameron on the back as a little baby and holding my daughter's hand at three years old and all of us going to sleep at night. And I look at that time and I think, what a great time that was. Now I have two separate empty bedrooms that sit there with a bed perfectly made. Anybody could be there and there's no one there to enjoy them. Isn't it funny how life works? Now I can go off and I can avoid a, afford a real vacation. I could go stay in a hotel. I could eat out. I could do those things. But yet what I look most fondly back on are the times when we borrowed my mom and my father-in-law's uh, motorhome, the old 79 motorhome. And we traveled with two kids in there and tight quarters and listening. And, and made really bratwurst and mac and cheese on a, on a little old stove and watched a little black and white TV at night and just played cards. That's the good old days. That's when I look back and think, that was a happy time. I was so content. Now I can drive a pretty decent car. It's not brand new, but it's decent. And it's nice, but I look most fondly back on the times when we were all riding back from going somewhere on a night, and it was a rainy, forever Seattle time like we're having now. And uh, we're driving back, and I had this old 67 Mustang convertible, and if anybody knows anything about Mustang convertibles, you know that they're rusted a lot. Still love them. Can't help it. But obviously, we're driving back, and I hit this great big huge pothole as we're driving back. And if anybody knows floorboards in a 67 Mustang, they're, they're not too secure. All the mud and the water splashed up on my face. And of the course at the time was not so happy. But now I look back and I laugh and I think, I remember that night. It was so cool. <laughs> you know? I look back when I finally, when we were starting out, when me and John first started out, when we first got our house, I mean, I remember asking for any cast-off furniture that you could possibly get. 
people were getting rid of their stuff and they're like, oh, here's an old table, you can have it. And you didn't care. You didn't care because, you know, you're just happy to have a place to set a glass down. That's what you were happy with. You were so content with a cast-off. But what happens over time is you start to notice your friends and maybe the others around you getting nicer furniture. And you're like, well, I want nicer furniture too. I'm not happy with the scratched-up, cast-off furniture no more. I want better. Why is it that we're like that? Why can't we look at that time in our life and be happy and content, and why can't it last? Why do we always think we have to have more and better and bigger? Is it because we do feel that urge to constantly compare ourselves and want better all the time so that we could be the Joneses? Is that what takes place in our hearts? We think that those things are going to make us more happy. And I, like I said, I think it actually does cause less happiness over time. Our things and our stuff and our treasures, they compete. If you're a believer, they compete with Jesus. It's God versus stuff. That's what happens. You have to ask if these, these things that you have, do they, or they have you? Do these things have you? Or do you have things? That's what you need to start asking yourself as a believer in Christ. If you're a true follower of God, you need to start asking yourself how you really look at things. God wants us to learn something from that. And he says in Matthew 6, 19 through 21, he says, Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. The reason why there are treasures inside is because no one can steal them from you. No one can take your joy. Your happiness can be destroyed, but you know what? Your joy is long-lasting. It's deep down in your heart. Your contentedness, no one can steal that from you. You could have little, and you can be content. Those things are important. But we live in this bizarre world. But with what we do in life, and even as Christians, we do this. The world is so guilty of it. We spend countless hours every single week working these long hours, these jobs, to get things. We buy things. We want to have better. So it's like we do these things, we work these jobs, we go out and we buy better and bigger things. Then what happens on the weekend? We spend countless hours taking care of our things, is what we do. So our things become such a burden to us. We actually become kind of a slave to our things, is what happens. It's all about getting more and more and more, whether we can afford it or not a lot of times. And that's sad. We're no different from the world in this. Christians are so guilty of it. We, for some reason, we love to just keep up. We want to look successful. Dave Ramsey says, we buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. (laughs) Isn't that true? Why do we do that? To get that quick little, like, you know, heads up at your uh, stop sign, you know? That's like, wow, nice car. It's like, yep, the payment's not so great. When you're driving away, you're thinking, (laughs) not so good then. But a person's life does not consist of their possessions. Possessions won't make you happy. It really doesn't change. It might give you a little bit of comfort and fun, but I will tell you in the long term, it does not make a difference. It doesn't make you more happy, and it does not make you more content. If anything I've learned... Since John's mom passed away, it's that. 
Here's a woman that loved antiques, loved things. She spent so many hours getting things. So many hours building places in her yard to sit, to do, to have. This woman has had more yard furniture than I've ever seen anybody in their life ever have. But you know what's sad? When she died, none of those things made one bit more happiness in her life. She didn't look around at her things and say, these things have made me so happy that I can die a happy person. That's not what you do. You can't take them with you. The possessions are there for now for us to just give away ourselves. It's sad that possessions have such a hold on us. It's sad to think that we spent so much time and energy sometimes getting things that really pull us farther and farther away from Jesus Christ. Having things is not a bad thing. Don't get me wrong. I I really don't want you to get that idea that I'm telling you that things in itself are really bad because having things are not bad as long as we keep them in check and we keep it in balance. But we're so easily swayed to go away from Jesus and go to the world. We just are so guilty of it so quickly and so easily. I've said to many people, I'm... I'm an odd person. I don't really look at people's things. I can usually see past that. Things don't do it to me. What I am probably the most, most jealous of and most uh, jaded about when I look sometimes at my neighbors and I think they have so much more time than me. That's when I start to really, it gets to me. I look at them and I think, well, they have all this free time. They're always doing something. They're always enjoying themselves. And then God has to kind of tap me and say, but what are you doing this for? It's for eternity. This life is this much. Keep it in perspective, Deb. But it's so hard sometimes because you look at people and you think, I I watch people just out there, they're washing their car. I've been waiting to wash my car since my granddaughter left. If anybody has little toddlers, you know why you need to wash your car after they leave. I'm a person that keeps my car really clean, so it's kind of really getting on my nerves. But no time, and of course, every time you go out there, it's Seattle, like I said, it's raining, so you're not going to get a chance. But the things, why do we let things control us and have us so much? Like I said, these things that we have, do they have us? You have to ask yourself if you're keeping in balance. We can't be a man like in Luke 12, 16 through 21 that says, when Jesus tells a story about this rich man, he says, a rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. And then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And then I'll sit back and I'll say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything that you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. We cannot fall victim to being a have-it-all. And the have-it-alls in your life, you cannot fall victim to them. Not if you want to have a strong relationship with Christ. Because it is a constant pull from one to the other. It really is a struggle. And it's one of the things you are going to have to really fight through. You're going to have to navigate through. Because for some reason, we love to have better. What I have is not good enough. I need to have more. I need to have better. It needs to be shinier. It needs to have no scratches. It needs to look good when people come to my house and see what I have. What are we more concerned with? God sees what he sees on the inside. 
Are we really concerned what people see on the outside? If we lived in shacks and shanties, does it really make a difference? We look at people. I felt so convicted when I saw that video last night for the first time. Because we tore down this old, junky barn that was in our yard. I mean, honestly, it was, it was literally cat house is what it was. It was cats lived there. My cats hate that I tore it down now. I want to, <laughs> I've got to build something for them now because I feel so guilty. But we tore down this old barn, and I looked at this old corrugated tin shed that I have, and I thought, oh, I need to get rid of that, and I need to put up something a little nicer. Even if I can't put a, a whole barn up yet or a, a garage because we don't have the money, we'll, we'll just put that up. And I thought to myself, that'll be nice because I don't like that old corrugated tin to hold my wood uh, splitter and my lawnmower and my bikes and my gas. And then I watched this video and I thought, here's a woman living in a corrugated tin house. And I want to get rid of my corrugated tin shed that houses nothing important in the great scheme of things. We have to get our perspectives right. Why is it that we struggle so much with that? Why is it that I can sit there and tell Jesus, I love you and I I care so much for you and I want to follow after you and these things don't matter and then I can still get wrapped up in it in two seconds? Why? We're so easily to fall victim to these things. Our culture tells us that the more we have, the better you're doing. That's not how God looks at it, though. God called that man a fool. He says, you're a fool. And when he says, eat, drink, and be merry, it's look at, we look at that and think that's a good thing. You know, we always say, oh, it's eat, drink, and be merry. It's like, that was used in the Bible as a bad thing. Eat, drink, and be merry because tonight your, full, your life could be demanded from you. Just like enjoy the time you got because you don't know how much time you really have. God called him a fool. Not because he was rich, but because he was rich and he wanted to keep it for himself. He wasn't generous. He wasn't a generous person. He didn't look and say, here, I have all this, and I could, I've got so much abundance. What can I do? Can I help my neighbors? Can I help my family? Can I do something for someone else? He said, no, I can build more and hoard up more for me. What he did was he thought he, it bought him security in some way. Bigger bank accounts can do that. When you have a bigger bank account, you can think, wow, look at me. I'm really more secure. There's nothing saying you're secure. We could be sick like this and lose everything through health costs in a blink of an eye. There could be a tornado to come through and wipe out every single thing that you have. What's security? The only thing that can't be stolen from you is your faith in Jesus Christ and your security in heaven. That's what can't be stolen from you. That's what we need to concern ourselves with in the long term way more than the short term. That that whole scripture verse that everyone misspeaks Everyone misunderstands the, the scripture verse that I'm going to read you next. First Timothy 6.10 says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. People a lot of times think it's money that's the root of all evil. It is not money. It is the love of money. It's when you put your security in money. It's when you desire more money and, and have to have more money, and you're willing to sacrifice your time with your family and your friends and and things because you have to make more money. That's when God says you have a love of it. And if you think that's not you, I want to kind of make you think about that today. Because you may think you're in right relationship with money. You may think, you know what, I'm okay. I'm not 
really spending a lot of time with money, but I want you to think about that. How much energy and time do you actually put into making money? When you look at your 24-hour period in your day, how much time do you actually spend in making it? How much time do you actually spend spending it, keeping track of it? How much time do you spend taking care of the things that bought you? When you think about your day and you think about the hours you have, how much time have you really put into your things more than you have your faith in God? If you compare it, it pales in comparison. We spend so much time and energy making money, getting money, spending money, having money, keeping track of money. That's why Jesus had so much to say about money. Because he knew it was going to be such a trap. It's such a trap for us. He says, why can't you be satisfied with what you got sometimes and just spend time with your family? The best times in our lives when we had little and we would just spend time together. Those were the good times. Matthew 6, 24 says, No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. What happens is our love for one causes us to not be able to show it for the other one. See, what happens is when we get ourselves so overextended, if you're so financially strapped that you can't possibly miss a day of work, because you know if you don't work, you don't get paid. So if you get to that point, what happens is over time, when somebody comes up, maybe talks about uh, a need, or you hear somebody saying they're struggling, you don't have the finance to say, here, let me help you. Because you're so financially strapped, you can't possibly give. Because you know there's no wiggle room. You've overextended yourself so much that you can't possibly give. God doesn't want us to live like that. What he says is be content with what you have so that when somebody comes up and says, I need something, you can sit there and say, you know what? Yeah, it's just money. Here. Here. That's what we're supposed to live like. You know, we only have so much time to live and we only have so much money to give. You're going to get what God gives you. You're going to be allowed to have the blessings because of what he allows. That's it. But what you take from one steals from the other. It really does. If you could just imagine how much sometimes our lives could change for our own kids and our grandkids and maybe a heritage of ki- kids. Your, your whole destiny of your, your lineage could change. The church Ministries, how much could change if you put things in the right order? If you made priority of what you should instead of being concerned with getting more things. We have to quit trying to get these things. We have to quit trying to give it, get it all, and we have to be willing to give more some of it away is what we need to do. We're blessed when we give. And I can tell you if that's one of the things I've learned. I am so thankful for a husband who, like I said, took seven years before he came to Christ. I went with Cameron and Shelby for seven years to church without John. Begging and pleading him, wanting him to come. Finally gave up and said, it's in God's hands. It's in God's hands. I can't do this no more. But one of these, one day I remember talking to my pastor and I said, yeah, it's pretty interesting. I talked to John. I said, you know, I had worked for so long and and I had always been a person to give to the church. I always tithed my money. And then I lost my job. I didn't have no money to give. But then I still felt that need inside me. I was like, I still want to give. I still want to give. 
So I had to go to John, who was not a believer at the time, and say, what do you think about us maybe giving money? What do you think about that? You know, and he's like, what do you mean? And I explained, you know, what a tithe was, 10%. I said, what do you think about it? And he said, if you really want to, I guess that's good. That's fine. We can do it. Remember my pastor saying, if he's willing to give up his money, I will tell you he's not far from the kingdom of God. And I believe that. There was something about John that always recognized that there was something more. And I say that with Zach, too, when Zach came up and said that brought him to Christ. There's something about a generous heart. I'm going to tell you, it softens it. It just breaks down those barriers. It makes it more fertile ground for the seed of God to be planted. It does something for us. It wasn't very long right after that that John did come to Christ and did believe, and now he serves all the time. And he's more willing to give sometimes than I am. But Proverbs 11.25 says, The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. When you give, you are refreshed. The more we give, the more refreshed we are. But we miss out because we're so overextended that we don't have any wiggle room to give. So because we don't give, we don't get refreshed. We need instead to start trusting God that he's going to take care of you. Not our things. Our things will not take care of us. They will just rust away. Rust away, fall apart, be gone. We have to trust God because with him, he'll take care of you. You trust yourself, you're on your own. That's how he says it. I just want you to receive that today. That just ends in this message. What I want you to leave with is receive this. Don't strive to have it all. Don't fall victims to the have-it-alls. Because truthfully, they don't have it all. If it looks good, sometimes it always isn't good. You know that whole idea with the grass is always greener on the other side? My neighbor's grass is much greener than mine. I can tell you it is true. It is a total true statement. This grass is perfect. There's not a weed in it. It is so beautiful. It is lush, green, mine, not so good. But then I start to think, the reason why his looks so good is because he's always spreading manure on it, right? And then he's always spending a lot more time watering it and taking care of it. Again, these things own us. My grass is looking a little shabby. I got way more dandelions than I need. And even if there's some brown spots, you know what? I just need to be concerned with what's inside my heart. There's lush, fertile ground in there. That's what matters. That's what really makes the difference. Inside, it's beautifully watered and refreshed. If we keep the perspective right. So today when you leave and you notice someone driving away with a really nice car, say, so what? So what? It's okay. I don't have to have the best. I don't have to have it all. As long as I have Jesus, that's what makes the difference. So let me pray for you, okay? Heavenly Father, I just pray, Lord, that you would just help us, Lord, to get your perspective. We are so easily swayed by what the world offers us. We so easily say we love you and we want to give you everything, our time, our money, ourselves. And then we walk out in the world and we forget so easily and we fall victim and we become the Joneses. 
I pray, Father, that you would help us. Help us, Lord, to be mindful of those things. Help us to be content with what we have. Help us to not always think we have to have better and more. Help us to realize that the better clothes and the better purses and the better things are not going to make us any happier. It's you that gives us that joy. I pray that you'd help us to get that perspective, Lord. Change us. And if there's anybody here today that just struggles with this, I pray that you would speak to them. Help them to see before they spend years and years and years of their life falling victim to this and then look back and just think, wow, I should have done it different. That they would get that today. That they would change it. They, They would be less concerned about making money and more concerned about spending time with the people they love and the people they care with and on their relationship with you. Lord, we ask that you would bless us, be with each person that's here, their families, keep them safe, Lord, guard them, help them to grow closer to you. And Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for coming for the series. Make sure you come back next week for baptisms. Come and support people. It's really important that you support everybody, okay?